You are listening to Underscore, a podcast of music and story. Here we are. Today's episode is our full-length audio commentary to Back to the Future, directed by Robert Zemeckis and scored by Alan Silvestri. A few notes before we get started. To follow along at home, head to underscorepodcast.com to download our previous week's supplementary materials, including a sheet music reduction of the main theme and a complete cue list to the underscore. For best results when syncing the film, after our countdown, the audio commentary begins as soon as the stars in the Universal Pictures logo become visible. If watching a more current copy of the film, there may appear two back-to-back versions of the Universal logo. Our audio begins with the final 1985 era logo. Here we go. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Welcome back to Underscore. This is Marty and Will Brueggemann, and we are watching Back to the Future. I cannot wait. This is one of our favorite movies of all time. I really think this is the most delightful movie to watch in an audience, and I think it's one of the greatest films of the 1980s. And we just know it is going to fly by. We are right now, if you're trying to sync this up with the movie, we've just seen the title flash on screen, Back to the Future, and we are looking at the inside of what we don't realize yet is... Dr. Emmett Brown's house and he has all these clocks which do this wonderful um, thing in the movie which kind of foreshadow obviously the time travel element and it also kind of uh, this whole opening sequence that's mostly just in one shot uh, just shows what kind of a kooky guy Doc Brown is and all the weird things he has inside of his house. This is maybe one of my favorite uh, sort of nonverbal expositions in any in any film like will said it's mostly a single take we kind of cut to a different shot when the dog food drops into the dog bowl i like that we see tom edison benjamin franklin and albert einstein and actually in the bottom right hand corner you can see the jbc camcorder that's going to pop up again in the film yeah, there's so many lovely details that reward like that the further viewing. Like isn't in there. <laughs> and just uh, inform a lot about the character of Doc Brown. Even though when we're watching this for the first time, we don't exactly know what it is we're looking at. It all helps to really build the context, I think, for this story. I love how this whole news briefing works because you kind of just think you're being set up for some sort of vague, uh, you know, science-y subplot. You don't necessarily know it's going to directly affect the main character. Here's our credit from Mr. Alan Silvestri. As we've said in our previous episodes, it's going to be almost 20 minutes before we hear any of the underscore in the film. So you're going to have to get used to our beautiful dulcet tones. kind of wonder if some of the contraptions in the Wallace and Gromit shorts were at all inspired by Doc Brown's lab here. (laughs) (laughs) 
that juxtaposition of the the name Einstein with this sloppy dog food. Right. <laughs> it really triggers something. I'm not sure what it is. Oh, look at those giant tubes. There. I love how we're introduced to Marty. We just see his feet. We see that he has a skateboard. Hear his voice. It's just great. Yeah. And Mike's voice is just incredible. It's probably ADR in this uh, this little stretch here. Do you think that's possible that this that was a scene that wasn't reshot and that's still Eric Stoltz? Ooh, that would be that would be interesting. I'm guessing not because it. he's he's clearly here in this shot, but yeah. Because apparently they had to shoot. A, they had a to lot reshoot quite a Michael J. Fox at night. Um, right. You know, I don't think they had shot the 1980 any of the 1985 material yet with okay. Eric Stoltz. I think it was mostly. Boy, and <laughs> this cable is unique. The <laughs> guitar is uh, such an interesting it's so body delightful. shape. I love how we see you know turning all these dials. Yeah. What what kind of strange contraption is this? And then you pan out to see it's a gigantic <laughs> amplifier. And then I love how the pick when he brings it back it catches a little bit of light there's like a sheen from it yeah now that is too darn loud <laughs> and it's really our first blast of any kind of music in the movie yeah <laughs> Great reveal of Mike there. I just He's just so sympathetic, you know. On right. on paper, I think the character could be a little bit more of a punk. Sure. Yo. But he just loved Michael J. Fox. It's going to be really hard for me to like talk over this movie because it's so perfect. It's, I just don't want to interrupt anything that happens. Oh, here's a little, here's an interesting tidbit. There's a old school jukebox in oh, yeah. Doc's office, garage, wherever we are. I wonder if Marty may have, you know, acquainted himself with some Chuck Berry in that old jukebox. So are we supposed to assume this is the same place that Doc was living in the 50s? Um, because I never really thought about it like that. Well, no, he does have to look up his address when he's in the 50s. Sure. So I, I think it does look kind of to be a different place. A different place. Another interesting line that I had forgotten about is uh, he said, Marty says, Doc, where have you been all week? Right. Yeah, and that's a, that's a line that's packed with more than meets the eye because it implies yeah. that they have an ongoing relationship. It yeah. shows Doc's been up to something, but it shows that it's like Marty didn't just meet Doc like a week ago. They've clearly right. they been this friends. For, yeah. I just they just don't make scenes quite like this. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and again, so this is, it shows Marty McFly skateboarding. We go through Hill Valley, but it also sets up kind of the antics that ultimately happen in the 50s you know where Marty's skateboarding and holding on to the other end of the car mm -hmm. and everything man this song is killer yeah. and this whole sequence is really edited 
wonderfully to the song. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just fun. The power of love is just like, I don't know, such an inviting song. And like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, I mean, I think it just perfectly captures what was so wonderful about 80s music and uh, right. 80s movies. What, are you going to give him detention because he's hanging around with <laughs> Emmett Brown? Claudia Wells plays Jennifer in this movie and only this first movie. She is just terrific, I think. She is great. You know what I always found funny? He calls him Dr. Brown, but our dentist growing up was uh, Dr. Martin Brown, and so we always called him Doc Brown. Can I go now, Mr. Strickland? Yeah, again, Michael J. Fox is able to walk this line of a self-confident teen, right. but you'll love him. Yeah. You know? And you can understand why Bob Zemeckis and Spielberg made that difficult decision to basically stop the movie and recast. Cause right. It's such a delicate thing, this character. Here we get Huey Lewis. Is it just him or is it other members of the band? That's a good question. I sort of thought it was just Huey Lewis there among the judges. And yeah, this is Marty's band, The Pinheads. <laughs> this scene is so great. I love how uh, far away that shot yeah, is of the judges. True. There's like a real humor in that. We get a couple of these shots of Jennifer watching Marty. And I think Claudia Wells' acting is just so wonderful there. She's right. It really is quite loud. So we know that they attend the same high school, but I wonder, it doesn't look like it. Is there any chance that's the same set as the end of the film? Wow, you know, I never thought about that. The gymnasium. And so there's, we got that little glimpse of the Washington Post March and Goldie Wilson's campaign van. I wonder what recording they use because it's definitely a different version of the Washington Post March than what we listen to. We got that little, we know a little bit more about Doc. Jennifer said, it's like Doc Brown's always saying, if you yeah. put your mind to it, you can achieve anything. <laughs> so she knows Doc too, clearly. They must all have kind of a friendly relationship. I wonder how they met him. It's very curious. This is one of those movies that's, I think, definitely better off for not filling in every detail of the backstory. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I don't know, you just accept, you know, that Marty would be friends with this, like, weird old scientist. Because the movie is, right. it does this nice little dance of introducing the characters. That you I love the staging here. They're standing on this bench and then you see the clock tower in the background. I think I mentioned before that uh, I was just, as a kid, so inspired by Mike's performance here as Marty. Like, I think it ended up seeping into just so much of my life. I said, like, I signed my name the way he signs his name right. in the letter. And so many of his phrases, get out of town, definitely. Do they ever actually get to kiss in this movie without being interrupted? Do they? I don't think so. Wow. <laughs> Because, yeah, Doc flashes flashes by in the DeLorean at the end of the movie. 
No, there's a there's a kiss coming up in just a minute, and then we get back into Huey Lewis. No, he just grabs this piece of paper and hangs on to it. Superfluous and kind of annoying, but we've all done that. We pick up some random flyer somewhere in the day. And is what's his dad listening to in the car? None yeah. other than the power of love. Let me give you the number. Oh boy, that's great. Great. God, I love that song. <laughs> it's so good. And save the clock tower. We get to read that phrase one more time. Hopefully, sinks in. You know what's great about Back to the Future <laughs> is, it's not one of those movies that nice loses anything riding. with the time <laughs> passing. It's something that actually gains. Like I feel like this movie is almost more enjoyable watching it now than it would have been in the '80s because now we get to view the '80s in kind of this right. time capsule way. We sort of way that... watch two different time periods. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's really cool. And they're not making an effort to, you know, stylize the 80s or whatever. Right. I really think they're trying to make it feel grounded and contemporary. But all those things are what make it feel like a time capsule all right. these years later. The introduction of Tom Wilson playing the character Biff. Who... Again, the staging and timing of the scene is amazing. Marty opens the door. Uh, and we're interrupting just the perfect part of their conversation, right. I think. I love can Tom I Wilson. I really wish yeah. he was like a more popular <laughs> character actor. Can I, uh, assume. <laughs> I spilled beer all over it. Yeah, that's great. We've all met people like Biff that have an incredible way of yeah. of turning the situation. Yeah, they view themselves as the victim, the victim of. They're the victim of their own stupidity. Both Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson, I think, are just incredible as the present-day version of Marty's parents, particularly in the opening, like, sort of darker world. Right. And at least as a kid watching this on VHS, I never noticed any of the sort of aging makeup or anything. Right. Might be a, maybe a yeah, little more I mean, apparent. Yeah, I always assumed this was their normal version. Right. I, I thought it was some sort of magic trick how young they looked in the 50s. What are you looking at, butthead? <laughs> what are you looking at, butthead? <laughs> I love that he's still a bully. Like, that's how he talks to a kid. Right. <laughs> and he must be in his 40s. <laughs> We can hear some crickets outside. Otherwise, there's a lot of silence in between beats of dialogue in the scene. Which I'm sure so, you so listening effective. to this commentary are noticing. <laughs> Organ in the house. I forgot about that. That's kind of cool. And that cry in Michael J. Fox's voice is right. just so special. Worry about all the <laughs> aggravation and headaches. 
playing a dad dance. Absolutely right, Monty. <laughs> Interesting George's perspective. It's <laughs> right. it's like, oh, you're let off the hook of the, a high pressure moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel so bad for it. They characterize Lorraine as just very depressed. Like, she's not really happy with right, not, her life. Right, not fulfilled at all. What's cool is when they come back, uh, not only did George turn out differently, but they have a much more sincere romantic relationship, you know, George and Lorraine. And it's it's kind of beautiful, really. I think this... This is all tuned just right, though. Um, yeah. You know, it's not so dysfunctional of yeah, a family yeah, it that it feels very status that quo. That it's too dark or anything. Not your answering service while you're outside pouting over <laughs> Oh, the his sister's great. Parker called you twice. I don't like her, Marty. Any girl who calls up a boy is just asking for trouble. This is great. I love the idea that, you know, Jennifer's father didn't go out of his way to say anything to Marty when they were in the town square. Uh -huh. Lorraine is clearly not a big fan of Jennifer. Something about that seems to ring true for this sort of high school relationship. Well, it'll just happen. Like the way I met your father. That was so stupid. Grandpa hit him with the car. It was meant to be. This is such a sweet moment. Anyway. Yeah, the, the thing that I love about this movie is Marty learns something from his parents and their perspective, but he also gives them a bit of wisdom. It's like Doc Brown gave him that line about if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And he ends up giving that to his father and his father can learn something. And it kind of shows that it's like, you know, between parents and their kids, they can't always have that equal kind of influence on each other, but... That's what's special about this movie. Yeah, Mom, we know you've told us this story a million times. You felt sorry for him. This is a, I think, a tiny little masterclass in exposition. No matter how many times I watch this movie, this is so engaging, Lorraine telling the story. But no one else in the room is all that interested. They've heard it before. Well, George the is photographer is because the camera's slowly yeah. pushing in on her as she tells it. Dean Kundi, the cinematographer here, was terrific, and was the DP and the entire trilogy. Later, uh, <laughs> cinematographer and Jurassic oh, poor Park. Crispin <laughs> Glover. God, that laugh is ah, 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 ah. that could be a ringtone. Here's that Lindsey Buckingham song. Great song, called out a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah, Marty Marty's posture in a weird is, way. It's <laughs> terrific. God, there are just so I, many little beats in this film yeah. that are Every memorable. scene is just delightful. You know. He also has the Pepsi free can on his no, don't, don't be silly. on his desk there. Yeah, he re he remembered. <laughs> I love that. Doc isn't calling him to say, like, where the heck are you, Marty? Right. You know? <laughs> God, and now he's wearing his iconic outfit with the red life preserver, right. as they call it. Love Doc's van here, Dr. Brown Enterprises. So we're moments away from the first cue of uh, Underscore. There we go. Let's see if you can actually notice where it enters. We mentioned last week that... 
it kind of comes in slightly covered by the sound of the truck door opening. I think we're hearing some of those sounds of the ethereal bowed And it's symbol. perfect. It's the first moment in the film where there's something mysterious and otherworldly. You know what I didn't realize? Our first instance of the magic chime is Einstein's face as he tilts his head. Oh, that kind wow. of summarizes the emotional so feeling right. of that theme. You know, a dog <laughs> tilting their head like, what's going on here? <laughs> and that terrific license plate, out of time. I know among DeLorean collectors, um, there's a, quite a lot of competition in trying to get that personalized plate, right. depending on the state you're in. <laughs> we should we also say Chris Lloyd has some aging makeup here. It's a DeLorean. And in terms of spotting, you know, Alan's pulling away here. Yeah. Not fighting with the dialogue. I mean, yeah, it really doesn't need anything. Right. Temporal experiment <laughs> number one. All these lovely touches. It's clear that Marty's watch is either broken or delayed. Oh, we should find the name of yeah, that dog. Yeah, we should find the name of that dog. Please note, Einstein's clock is in precise synchronization with my control watch. Look at all those 911s. <laughs> Should we mention that video? Well? Yeah, some of you may know there's a video saying that there's a 9-11, Back to the Future predicts 9-11, some conspiracy theory. And, and that there are basically bundles of clues hidden throughout the trilogy. <laughs> now, what would I interpret the video as like a hilarious it's like, intended satire? Comedy. At least one of them. There's a few different ones, but the one but I'm But even that one, when you thing. actually watch that channel... Okay, we're going to get distracted. But yeah, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put a link for that in the notes. We have to remember to do that. There's something so fun about See, the idea of this being remote control. Right. <laughs> yeah, a remote control real-life car. Gosh, Doc is just so kooky. <laughs> it's great. The costuming here feels... Pretty true to life, but they've found pieces that can almost become these like superhero uniforms. Or right. Something. Well, and this is just such an iconic shot of the two of them standing in profile. And then as we see the DeLorean, like, oh, I just delight in this moment. <laughs> Marty's getting a little <laughs> scared. <laughs> <laughs> Another great, just non-verbal stretch of the film here. Sounds like an X-Wing. The flux capacitor is fluxing. Some great optical special effects that oh, love still that. look terrific. Here's our second cue, Disintegrated Einstein. <laughs> we mentioned last week how this really sort of tritone-centered <laughs> right. madcap march for Doc <laughs> kind of sets his celebration and his <laughs> zany content. Calm down, Marty. I didn't disintegrate anything. 
The molecular structure of both Einstein and the car are completely intact. <laughs> where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when the hell are they? You see, Einstein Great has just become the world's first time Great setup of the premise here. Into the future. One minute into the future. This cue, like so many of the films, is... Just this tour de force of scoring, just the relationship of right. the dialogue to the score. It's it's so musical. Yeah, I, I mean, you made a really good point uh, last week, Marty, at just how elegantly Silvestri navigates the role of composing around the dialogue. It, it really is masterful. You know, when he chooses to enter and exit and really set up moments of dialogue and kind of seamlessly fade underneath them. It's it's really fantastic, especially considering, you know, how crude the technology was back then to really be able to watch the film and right. time things out that way. It was before, you know, computer time codes and right. mock-ups and all that stuff. I mean, it's yeah, just it's really marvelous. I love how icy and frosty the DeLorean is after it's been through the time sequence. You know, I think another film would maybe try scoring this moment here. Right. But That's true. The fact that it's so stark is really intriguing. There's something sobering about it. You know what it might be? Cold. Is Damn. that when he's moving towards it, you could imagine mysterious music, but as soon as he touches it, it's almost like a little moment of comedy. Wow, that's amazing. He's all right. He's fine. And he's completely unaware that anything happened. As far as he's concerned, the trip was instant. I always thought this was a nice touch uh, of sort of what a scientist doc is. He's, he's basically right. trying the smallest amount of time travel for right. his first experiment. First, you turn the time circuits on. Time circuits on. <laughs> we should also mention... Uh, this device of Marty taping what's happening, be presumably because it's so historic, it again makes all the exposition, it just goes down so smoothly. Cause, oh yeah, of course he has to announce everything for the tape. Right. Well, and also he can show it to the Doc Brown from 1955. Right. This is a great movie movement. Even the first time you're watching this, you can tell it's like, okay, something is being set up for us here. Right. A revelation. Shield eyes from light is one of the warnings on the flux capacitor. It's taken me almost 30 years of my entire family fortune to realize the vision of that day. God, has it been that long? Things have certainly changed around here. I remember when this great was moment here. As far as the eye could see. Doctor really kind of painting a picture in our imagination. Yes. About breeding pine trees. <laughs> it seems completely irrelevant. Boy. Yeah, Chris Lloyd is so gifted here. I love this idea coming up where he's like, okay, you need to cut this next part. Right. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? 
Again, we reveal so much about <laughs> relationships when we can see a little bit of tension and conflict. This is great. <laughs> a tiny bomb casing full of used pinball machines. So here's our next cue. And we're now going to have underscore for the next several minutes of yeah. uh, of film. This, it, this, this cue, cue is does titled so uh, 85 Twin, Twin Pines, Pines Mall. Mall. Yeah. In, uh, yes, it starts with the, those beautiful two-voice string texture, kind of that harmony texture as we mentioned right. last week. There's a 50s vibe to all of this, dealing with the nuclear radiation and everything. And here we have this sort of heroic militaristic snare pattern. Like, before we even see the Libyan van, it's setting up action music. Right. It's setting up... And I think up at first it's sort of uh, setting this color of, like we said before, um, history making. Almost sort of like a, a NASA missions in the right stuff or something like that. Right. I'll also be able to see who wins the next 25 World Series. God, you know what's also good? Every character is so likable. I love this moment here. Mike's so vulnerable and he's asking him no, to look him up. Right. We're really w witnessing something so unique. It's this friendship we've probably never seen before. Right. And um, it's we're only catching them as they're about to separate. And here we're, we're hearing what we call the sort of bugle interpolation of the main motif. Yeah. Now a little very threatening in the low. Wonderful little modulation is. I love this line. It's, it's so ominous. So we go from sort of history-making patriotism to to true danger. Uh oh. So many great moments punctuated by some that great word. 80s swears. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, you know, I never noticed that Doc's pistol looks like an old Wild West six Great, shooter. it's the same <laughs> pistol that he has in Back to the Future 3 when, uh, he, remember, he shoots right. as Marty drives. So here's a shocking moment the first time you see the film. What? Isn't Doc... Going to be one of our main characters. Gosh. So now, I mean, there's no going back. Now we are in full-fledged adventure movie mode. And Alan really in a holding pattern here. And it's the gun jams. Kind of intense. Wonderful little tremolo figure in the strings. Is And that's sort of a version of our kind of danger ostinato that'll come right. up towards the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah I, I wonder if this score was just written straight through, you know, and that motive just wasn't developed yet. If Silvestri had known he was going to have that reoccurring motif, maybe he would have used it in this opening sequence. So I love this trumpet phrase here. 
Um, this it's happens, very heroic. Yeah. Happens once again late in the film, but otherwise never to be heard again. I love the great use of mallet percussion in the orchestra. It's something that I, I, too many composers nowadays are really afraid of doing. Maybe they right. think it sounds cartoony or too light, but I don't know. I, the, it it really adds something to the color and the the palette and the texture of everything. I mean, having a bigger, larger, more lush orchestral sound. Uh, is as Marty gets in the straightaway, we have a pure phrase of our main statement. We said there's a stop and start quality to this stretch of the score here. Didn't it? <laughs> oh boy, that's just terrific. And then we kind of called that out last week. Again, the way Silvestri plays with the dialogue and helps to really punch these these great lines. Story-wise, I love that Marty's not trying to time travel. Right. He's genuinely trying to escape in this car. I love as he puts on the brakes that <laughs> helmet <laughs> slides on. The poor Peabody Love the family. pacing of this scene here. I love that the whole family goes in to <laughs> investigate. We talked about how Silvestri scores this scene from the family's perspective, which is feels so perfect. Because <laughs> what on earth would this seem like to a family from 1955? <laughs> <laughs> the muted trumpet, it yeah. really feels like something from an old film serial or like an old And TV sort of show. funny here in this moment. Right. And this is, again, that sort of bugle interpolation. Love the juxtaposition here. There's absolutely nothing threatening about about Marty. <laughs> the cows aren't afraid of him. Love how Mike plays this scene and the timing of the gunshots. The lighting in the back. Yeah. Sorry about your barn. <laughs> Sorry about your barn. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how good that was. Yeah. <laughs> kind of wonder if that little kid is, you know, it could almost be like a young Bob Zemeckis or right. He's mutated into future the 80s form. <laughs> Another beautiful, pure statement of the B theme here. And so Marty knocked down one of the pine trees, so in the future, we notice the mall becomes the Lone Pine Mall. So here's the material that we usually sort of associate with Doc. Works really well to, um, to kind of underscore the fright and the tension. Well, like we said, he's being left in a mess that Doc created. Right. Here in the lovely instance of that what we've been calling the magic chime but it's the sense of mystery and wonder of time travel and so marty's house effective. isn't even built yet great idea in terms of uh production value you really just need these two pillars and you could position them you know in farm country right in 
kind of pull off this sequence. <laughs> I love the like intense uh, hit <laughs> of when you see the 50s car. It's She's like, oh, great, no. that actress who's panicking yeah. there. And here we have what we sort of called our clock tower idea. Followed by that kind of interplay in the wind. Low fuel. So we've mentioned that as you approach sort of the midpoint of the movie, the problems just mount for right. Marty. And we're already starting to feel that. Doc has died. He's time traveled, though he's not quite ready to accept that yet. And the car doesn't work. Funny how the entrance of Mr. Salmon. Funny how so much of that last cue was uh, dialed out. Right. Yeah, ditching the DeLorean cue. Right. Man, and we've talked about just how incredible <laughs> this version of Mr. Salmon is. Great little is. touch here that one of the film posters. It doesn't. It's a film that Ronald Reagan did star in, which right. is going to help our joke in the, in about ten minutes. Yeah, we talked about how the opening of this arrangement of Mr. Sandman um, works, can work really theme. well in a mysterious context. This is great, and all filmed on the Universal backlot. If you're ever able to take the tour, they uh, they will drive you by this uh, this portion of the set. Just arrived the ballad of Davy Crockett. Yeah. They must have just had uh, such a delightful time recreating all this. Right. I believe the um, the movie was shot um, starting with the the 1955 sequences. Right. And then you they sort that. of dirtied up the set, I think, for the the 85 material. That's cool. There's that kind of polytonal moment that you called out last week where we have the dun 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 dun. Yeah, we have like a B flat pedal and then an E major bell. Which, yeah, it sets up that tritone relationship again. It's just a wonderful moment of Alan Silvestri choosing to set up that kind of juxtaposition with score, in this case, score and actual music that would be existing in the fabric of the film. Just great production value here. You know, I'm not, I haven't counted how many 50s era cars they have on set, but it feels like a lot the way they've staged this. I love how the camera pans around yeah. in kind of a sliding motion on when we look at the uh, newspaper. He's still not accepting it. That's something I think we as moviegoers, we kind of struggle with. A lot of times, I don't know if we always enjoy that characters don't immediately accept yeah, it's the like strange thing. Yeah, you just saw that he made a time machine. No. <laughs> God, what a great line. What'd you do? Jump ship? <laughs> and when you're watching this for the first time, there's no way you catch that as George McFly. Right. Who's sitting at the dinner. Love Marty's resourcefulness here. He finds him. Emmett Brown is alive and in town at this point. <laughs> I used to watch this on VHS. The beeping of his watch was sometimes so faint as to make that moment right. confusing. Great blocking here. Uh, yeah. give me, give me a, a man working at the diners. 
obscuring George McFly in this show. Give me a Pepsi free. You want a Pepsi, pal? You're gonna pay for it. Kind of our first string of misunderstanding, like time period jokes. Great. You want a Pepsi, pal? You're gonna have to pay for it. Hey, McFly. Really nicely done. Here. What do you think you're doing? And yeah, Tom Wilson's really the first actor that we get to see in kind of the younger and it's striking right. yeah I mean, absolutely it almost feels like magic how young they look billy zane is one of uh biff's oh i forgot about this billy zane <laughs> again biff has this kind of attitude of uh like he's being the yeah the, he's the, the victimhood that he he invents is amazing George tries to join in, maybe get on their good side, laughing and right here. Bring it over first thing tomorrow morning. Not too early. I sleep in Sunday. Again, like Vertigo, like Raiders, these dialogue-heavy scenes. There's no score. Fighting. I love that line. I sleep in Sundays. Right. And yeah, George has the attitude of like, oh, okay, I dodged a bullet. That could have been much worse. Right. Which which is pretty sad. Iconic shot here. <laughs> yeah. What? George, <laughs> George has to work up so much energy to speak up for himself. Push you around like that for? Well, they're bigger than me. Stand tall, boy. Have some respect for yourself. Don't you know if you let yeah. people walk over you now, they'll be walking over you for the rest of your life. It's Goldie Wilson. You think I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this slop house? Watch it, Goldie. No, sir. I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to night school. This actor's great. Donald Fully Love. That's right. I think He's going to be mayor. Yeah, I'm <laughs> great beat here. Mayor. Yeah. Now that's a good idea. I could run for mayor. A colored mayor. That'll be the day. You wait and see. Mr. Tiny little Goldie. touch of where... Of the social progress that I think can kind of happen between these two periods, too. Right. At least in Hill Valley. Right. Man, Goldie Wilson. Like the sound of that. Nicely done in that single take. Crispin runs away. I love this line. The, <laughs> he kind of said that in the wrong right. order. <laughs> and the woman at the candy counter gets to sort of observe it. Dad, dad, daddy-o. <laughs> He's a peeping Tom. So yeah, that first scene, you know, while embarrassing, it's maybe wasn't that all that surprising for Marty because it's, it's a right. sort of similar relationship that Biff and George have. But from here on in the film, Marty's going to learn a lot more about his parents than right. he was maybe ready George to really is kind of a cowardly, pathetic guy. Again, I, I love Marty McFly as this sort of reluctant hero. Right. He can't help he, yeah, it. Yeah, he just can't help. He can't help but really. step in and save people. And and hopefully any of us would do that in, in that sort of situation if our 
one of our parents was <laughs> i love that another <laughs> one of these <laughs> damn kids jumped in front of my car <laughs> here's that great cue is that you <laughs> stage so well and leah thompson's line readings here i think are perfect because she is putting a little bit of a gravel in her voice right. i think to kind of help the confusion it's very here. motherly yeah Back in time. and this is maybe one of the most shocking reveals in the film as the lights come on and we see young leah thompson it's well and i love how alan gives us like <laughs> false hope right that <laughs> yeah Oh, Michael J. Fox is so great. Lorraine Bates? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're so, you're so thin. The way he's playing it, too, is, he's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is how it should be. We said last week. On my hope chest? The kind, the disturbing, semi-incestual undertones here, like they really add to how right. scary this is. Like already, he hasn't even been here very long. He's already kind of screwed up his own destiny. No, actually, people call me Marty. Pleased to meet you, Calvin. Marty. One of the great opening <laughs> jokes. That he could be keeps being called Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein. Do you mind if I sit here? Yes, no, I mind. Fine. No, good, fine. <laughs> good. That's a, a big bruise you have there. Yeah, he, he doesn't want to really look at her. Doesn't want to be touched. Right. Really nice little <laughs> joke that. She can't, she sort of can't seem to stand her mother. Right. So tell me, Marty, how long have you been in port? Excuse me? Oh, yes, you're a sailor, aren't you? That's why you wear that life preserver. <laughs> uh, this is great. I love Lorraine's mom. She's Here's the young man you hit with your car terrific in this scene. He's all right, thank God. What were you doing in the middle of the street <laughs> at your age? Don't pay any attention to him. He's in one of his moods. Sam, you'll quit fiddling with that thing coming here to dinner. God, this you know, almost more than any of the production value, the way that Lorraine's parents act really sells the period for me. Completely. <laughs> yeah, I especially love how he's like mad at Marty. Right. What's a kid doing your age in the yeah. middle of the street? Yes. You better get used to those bars. Interesting kid. little joke there. He cries whenever we take him out, so we just leave him in there all the time. <laughs> Wonderful little sort of mirroring scene to Marty having dinner with his parents. And if you remember, it was um, George McFly in 1985 with his signature laugh. He was watching an old honeymoon movie. Right. Oh, that's and true. And that's what this episode is, actually. There's all that little subtle kind of Easter egg-y stuff that you only catch from repeat viewings this is one of my favorite jokes that the mcflies have two tv sets and i think for an audience in 85 certainly for an audience in 2017 not all that big of a deal yeah i kind of like the idea that it's like our future is maybe a more 
luxurious or sort of uh right taken for granted too yeah can't remember that actor's name, but we kind of remember him as the older brother in the Wonder Years. <laughs> oh, God, I love all these lines. And Lorraine is sitting so uncomfortably, uncomfortably close. It's great how transparent she is with her feelings towards this new character here. Another great joke coming up here. Yeah. John Maple F. Kennedy. Who the John hell is John, John F. F. Kennedy? <laughs> it really sort of makes this a, a dark, strange period. Right. It's hard to remember a time when when no one would know who John F. Kennedy was. Right. <laughs> maybe you should spend the night. I think you're our responsibility. Oh, gee, I don't know. <laughs> it's also a cool moment for him getting to see his I grandmother. Grabs his legs. Oh, he yeah, he has to split. Fight or flight. <laughs> He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. <laughs> From upbringing. Parents are probably idiots too. <laughs> <laughs> Love that just hearing her dad's line as she's still in kind of the afterglow of this. Boy, love Doc's house. You know what, Will? I think it is the same house, but there's been redevelopment or something. Oh, oh you know what it is? Because that garage is the same garage. Hmm. That's but maybe he washed the house or something and moved moves into the garage? Because yeah. if you notice, in 1985, his garage is like right next to a parking lot. It's right. Sort of, it's sort of strange. <laughs> <laughs> Goofball is always Doc. There's just so much personality in, in all of these scenes. Love the obstacles that are here in this scene. Like Marty just wants to talk to him, and really, we should be so excited to know that okay, Doc is alive. Right, and we are. We're seeing kind of him and his <laughs> doing his shtick. What a great device! I mean, it's one of my favorite shots when he opens the door and yeah. he has that goofy. Yeah, that's thing one of those the, images that kind of gets blazed into your brain. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. Chris Lloyd's reaction to this is great. Oh, essentially ignores everything Marty said. <laughs> Do you know what this means? It means that this damn thing doesn't work at all. You gotta help me. You were the only one who knows how your time machine works. This <laughs> Chris does this great thing where he like turns towards the camera without right. looking at the camera, and it's usually for our benefit, and it's so it's right. very theatrical. It's really been so long since any score. Yeah. Love the staging where Marty's kind of hanging over the lamp. It would be kind of awkward, but it, it's. It looks really interesting. <laughs> Pretty mediocre photographic bakery. 
one of the great jokes here. <laughs> Actually, you could do this now. Yeah. If you told someone in 1985, Donald Trump yeah. is the president. Exactly. Wow. Good night, great Great moment here. Because at this point, Marty's almost at the end of his rope. He's right. Just had a horrible day. So yeah, Zemeckis and Gale really kind of toy with us just as far as we'd be able to take it. <laughs> great cue here. I love how he opens the yeah. door, the look on his face. That's all it takes. Now they're on board. Right. So I hit it. Here. This one of many cues that opens in that sort of mysterioso texture we've talked yeah. about. After I fell off my toilet, I do this. And here's that. Power, power of, of time. time motif with those converging contrary motion lines it's so fantastic oh man that's probably one of my favorite motives in the whole score yeah absolutely this is such a great moment the joy on doc's face to know that at some point in his life he will he will create this right Great brass, muted brass crescendo there to, towards the end of the queue. Why, that's me. Look at me. I'm an old man. Yeah, by and large, at this point in the film, we have score when things are sort of either mysterious or otherworldly. And in our more sort of sober everyday scenes, it's you know right. not unscored. More or less, that's sort of the approach to the whole film. It's actually a great comment. No wonder your president has to look so good on television. Right. I love. <laughs> I love that line about the fallout from the atomic wars. Yeah. Now I wonder. This is the stuff that makes <laughs> internet memes. Yeah. God, I love how he's just running around like a goofball. <laughs> one point twenty one gigawatt. What the hell's a gigawatt? He's like, he needs an audience here, so he has to. <laughs> he talks to this picture of Tom Edison. Same picture we see in the beginning of the film. Another great joke. Plutonium in every corner drugstore. I'm afraid you're stuck here. Whoa, whoa, I'm stuck here. I can't. I can't be stuck here. I got a life in 1985. I got a girl. Is she pretty? She's beautiful. She's crazy about me. Yes. Look what she wrote. This is so great. Again, Zemeckis is. The scene is so well directed. Because we remember that Jennifer's number is on the back, so Doc's seeing that. But all we can see is that Save the Clock Tower flyer. 
it's ever gonna strike. We do now. And the flyer is planted, I feel like, so organically and convincingly early in the yeah, film. Yeah, absolutely. It, it doesn't feel convenient the way that so many kind of Hollywood story moments can. And, Murray, you're so right about that mode of being associated with the clock tower, the more mechanical iteration right. of the power film. It really is associated with that. And I love the... You know, the... the <laughs> The doc moving as the wheels in his head are spinning. Right. Yeah, the interplay of those. Of and there's those something familial stars. about this presentation because we actually have the piano. <laughs> and here he's looking. Again, the we it, yeah, directly the into the camera lens and then slightly turns away. Now, the plan that Doc's putting together here would almost work, but. Yeah, sorry, Doc. There's this one thing I've kind of bumped into both of them. Why did he follow his father? Great lighting here. All the shadow that Marty's in. Just as I thought. This proves my theory. Look at your brother. His head's gone. It's like it's like it's been erased. 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 From existence. Yeah, that's great. Boy, and our mysterious chime material works Whoa. so well with that really fading picture. Looks brand new. Now remember, like so much of Sylvester's score really amplifies the special effects, and in some cases, completely. the even lack of effects that, yeah. that are on screen. completely agree. And it's all those moments of just movie magic. Which one's your pop? That's him. I love that Doc has gotten Marty's uh, some, a period outfit here. <laughs> you know what's you know, cool? Doc's sort of a funnier, hipper guy than. Oh yeah, and remember. he can tell, even though Marty's from the future, that like he's really cool. So he's surprised <laughs> right. that. I love that Strickland looks exactly the same. Right. This is great. Yeah, we George's arc is really something cuz not only is he sort of shy and nervous, but I also never really liked that, you know, he doesn't even acknowledge what Marty did saving his, right. I mean, maybe not saving his life, but at least saving him from being hit by the car. Yeah, Marty really pushes him to be a better person. <laughs> we mentioned there was a, a cue written for this moment here that was not used in the film. And actually, hearing the dialogue, it's pretty reverberant in this in this set. Or if that could have even played a role. I love all the um, sort of <laughs> euphemisms that, that Doc heavy. uses, yeah. and you, all this lofty language. <laughs> Your mother is amorously infatuated right. with you. So you've 
It's that great sort of techno babble that yeah. Dan Aykroyd is so great at in Ghostbusters. It's great. They're they're sort of equally inept at, at solving this right. this problem here. Just oh, a rhythmic <laughs> ceremonial ritual. It's cool. Also, I think a nice character moment. Marty does know his parents' origin story. Exactly. Yeah. In case you thought he was ignoring, ignoring it earlier. This is great. Stories, science fiction stories about uh, visitors. Really, the first Earth, sort of positive thing he learns about is his dad in this time. Get out of town. I Let me read something. Oh no 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 no! I never I never let anybody. Remember when Marty said he he sort of failed the audition? George almost was looked at it as a good thing. It's like, oh, well, at least you know. You don't have to go up there. Similar to uh, no. how he's acting right now, where he's no, afraid of rejection. Now, I always wondered in Toy Story when Rex says that line, is that kind of referencing Back to the Future? I always thought that was a little Back to the Future. No, I can it's the take exact that kind phrasing. of rejection. I love how George look at Crispin's eyes yeah. cutting back and forth. Right you know what's funny? Uh, Crispin Glover looks younger this than point Michael J. Fox. It's terrific. I just love the way. Right. I'm surprised there wasn't a dramatic music cue. Right. Great scene here. What a scandal. First time really standing up to <laughs> Also one of the all-time great jokes in the movie coming up here. <laughs> oh, this is what a great, great scene. I'm going to cut you a break. Today. Tom Wilson is <laughs> so great. Why didn't he catch on as being like a more popular actor? That's a great question. I don't know. I mean, Biff is one of the most delightful movie villains. Perhaps there's some typecasting here. Such a memorable, memorable part. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Make like a tree and get out of here. Yeah, Biff's such a bully, he doesn't have to actually be funny, you know, people are just afraid of him. You know, what I love just costume-wise in both of their outfits, Marty with the red, George with the blue. Marty, even in the 50s, looks cooler than... <laughs> and red is more of a Marty color. Right. It's a great little idea George plants there. Anybody else on this planet... We're checking in. Now almost his entire brother has faded. So we're about to hear that great snippet of Eddie Van Halen's score, which to George must sound 
I mean, to anyone. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Alien explosion. Edward Van Halen. Nice. That camera <laughs> angle is just so terrific. Yeah. Too. Who are you? From underneath. This it's thing. so 50s, too. Yeah, it's like Marty's like sci fi. Pretty much pointing the this tape player like a gun. My name is Darth Vader. <laughs> and the hair dryer in his belt. Yeah. So on the DVD and Blu ray editions, perhaps it's only on the Blu ray editions, I think you can see the uh, complete version of that scene. They sort of trimmed it down. Right. I think wisely, it's great wisely, I because think. you know he ends up telling Marty about it, and we we get out of the scene on a joke, which happens a lot in this movie. Right, and works so well. Lovely little beat here. Marty's from the '80s, where we have these twist-off caps. <laughs> it doesn't occur to him that you right. need a bottle opener. <laughs> This is a little thing, but I love that, you know, this this is a Pepsi movie. Right. You know? Yeah, there's a fair amount of product placement actually in Back to the Future. Burger King, JCPenney, Pepsi, and Mountain Dew. But it's also very, the very one unrealistic done, thing is that he goes into the diner and asks for a Pepsi. Right. Nobody asks for a yeah. Pepsi. Who would who would do that? Feel free to chime in on Twitter if you are a, if you are a person. I I don't mind a Pepsi. I'll a buy a Pepsi, Pepsi but I, it's just. <laughs> I love that moment that he's writing it down. Yeah. Great Etta James song here. We mentioned how the, the tempo fire, of the right? song just feels perfect for how the scene unfolds. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it it fits with the editing and, and it Goldie also Wilson feels is, like hypnotically Yeah, there's some dancing to it, so you wonder if they're either playing this or similar song on set. Or that's true. This is all sort of free. You know, Marty's in the background there. I've got to say, this is the first time I've noticed he's. Oh, true. In that part of the scene. Gosh, I love that. Give, Give me, me a, a milk, milk chocolate. chocolate. And then it just slides out. It's so cartoonish. I've been sort of dreaming it's my great. whole life for the opportunity to to do that at a bar. Has not yet happened. <laughs> has popped me to you. What? Oh. Crispin's great here. You know, and he is kind of cute and all. As yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. I'm George. George McFly. He's so excited. I'm your density. And if Biff wouldn't interrupt it, there's just a hint of a moment in Lorraine where she seems like she could be kind of interested. Yeah, she's like, that's sweet. God, stupid Biff. And they unplug the jukebox, which is not a nice move. I always think it's funny that no adults, like, intervene. Right. And again, Marty just can't help it. We also have to remember, Marty's lived his whole life his whole childhood seeing biff Punk. torment no, his family right he just wants to deck him <laughs> it's just what's funny is his dad's terrific. punch yeah. ironically ends up being more powerful right. I mean, it like knocks biff out it's the real hero's punch and here's this, a skateboard chase cue the action centerpiece of the movie this as we scene, yeah is again one of the most magical parts of the film 
And yeah, it's something just, that they try to recreate in every single Back to the Future right. movie. Again, the editing is terrific. The sort of action choreography, and there's great bits of humor. And this is this is sort of like to me the most definitive moments of, of the Alan main Sylvester's yeah. great theme. I mean, I think and when we all we've think actually of planted Back the, the seeds future, that Marty is a great, right. you know, city street skateboarder. But I think it, when we all think of the movie Back to the Future, this has to be the scene that you think about. Right. I love this little dark um, minor motif that happened in that right. section. Yeah, the whole design of this sequence is terrific. I have to imagine it must have been fairly fairly well storyboarded. So now we're getting our kind of threatening action yeah. motif. Dun, 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 we're going to have that ostinato throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. In the low piano, kind of very iconic usage of it. Oh, my gosh. Really cool. Just a great visual stunt and timed perfectly with that piffy <laughs> theme. And then... I don't know. Again, it's another instance of a Alan's comedic timing. The moment he cuts out of the score, it just hits this perfect beat. It's not right. right when they, you know, say their line. It's just like a just one little beat before. It's just kind and of And his heroic timing. timing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how many seconds long that shot is when the uh, stuntman is walking across the car to the back. Right, of the right. But it's just you just want to cheer. Feel so bad for George in this moment. He tries to just sort of slink away. There's a great bit of humor in that line. She says, "Who is that boy? Where did he come from?" And Lorraine says, "I don't know, but I'm gonna find out." Some kind of foreshadowing because right, like, like a double meaning, right? Yeah. She is gonna find out where he comes from. Now, it's interesting. It seems like he's just stuck in a loop in this part of the tape. Mm -hmm. And I think Marty's afraid of what what he'd come to know. Right. Now, we don't know all that goes into Doc's decision-making towards the end, but it's conceivable that Doc already knows, actually, by this point. Right. Of, of, his, of his fate in 1985. You're right. Now, let me show you my plan. Great section of the film. We also have something sort of like this in every film. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> you have to excuse the crudity of this model. Some industrial strength electrical cable from the top of the clock tower down, suspending it over the street between these two lampposts. Meanwhile, we've outfitted the time vehicle with this big... Actually really crucial in the film that that we can spell this out so and then these we can actually favorite. visualize our plan well, and these are my favorite kind of scenes of doc explaining things like in back right. to the future 2 on the chalkboard, with the chalkboard explaining yeah. the split timeline and then they they almost recreate this exact sort of idea in back to the future 3 as well sure with the uh, locomotive into the flux capacitor and sending you back to 1985 <laughs> I thought it was interesting that Doc has a alto saxophone in his garage. Oh, good eye. That is interesting. You know, and he constructs this 
amplifier for Marty. There's so many wonderful little musical Easter eggs that are, are not elaborated on. That's and true. And hopefully in the previous episodes, we've maybe even unearthed a, a little bit of the sort of musical narrative that's right. happening in this film. Funny, even this sort of diorama scene I has love tension wait, and excitement. I love Doc's face when yeah. he sees it catches on fire. It's <laughs> terrific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how does his jaw open that that wide? Oh, that's great. <laughs> a lot of confidence. By the way, what happened today? Did he ask her out? I think so. What did she say? God, the pace of every single one of these scenes in the film is just, just incredible. I love Lorraine interrupts us at the perfect moment. And it's so great that the car is here, that that we add this sense of kind of... Uh, right. There's a danger that they could sort of be found out. And Doc adds this wonderful silent commentary. Yeah, absolutely. Really adds to the humor. We had Thompson's amazing. She's so nervous. And also, Marty's been trying to put like a positive face on how things have been going with his parents to Doc, and now he kind of can't hide from the fact that he's failing. Marty, his eyes. I was kind of wondering if. Also, so funny earlier, she's like, <laughs> right. oh, girls shouldn't yeah, ask boys to dances, and now that's right. what she's doing. Yeah, this, the two comments she makes, girls shouldn't ask out a boy, and I never sat in a car with a boy. Um, yeah, let's, let's see. <laughs> Poor George. And at this point in the movie, it's re it's really kind of a fascinating concept because you're almost wondering, wow, like, could George and Lorraine really have a lasting, like, romantic relationship? Right. Yeah. George has to change, you know. Right. He needs to kind of grow up and get some backbone. to go to the dance with her if she's already going to the dance with you. Because, George, she wants to go. like... Like Spielberg is, he's so great at populating scenes with like lovely little business. Yeah. It's great that they're doing laundry here. Well, and it dad, shows dad, them. Dad, daddy, oh. <laughs> it shows them becoming, you know, closer as friends. Okay, so right around nine o'clock, she's gonna get very angry with me. Why is she gonna get angry with you? Well, because George, nice girls get angry when uh, guys take advantage of them. Oh, <laughs> it's it's pretty clear at this point. Marty's not going to be able to pull this song. Right. Right. Okay. So nine o'clock, you're strolling through the parking lot. You see us uh, struggling in the car. You walk up. You open the door and you say, and you're lying. Again, George. kind of like the finale with the clock tower, oh, we we set up hey this you. this hey scene as well. We kind of prepare the audience right. for what I love is this line to coming up. I really think I ought to swear. 
Yes, definitely. God damn it, George, swear. Well, <laughs> so now, you come up, you punch me in the stomach, I'm out That's for the great. count, right? And you and Lorraine live happily ever after. Well, you make it sound so easy. It's a really nice I scene, just, I wish I wasn't mostly so in, a, in a single take. Or is it all even in a single take? Right. When they first walk out with the laundry. You can accomplish anything. It's a moment Will touched on earlier where Marty's sharing some advice from Doc. Go. Last week as we went through the our spotting session, it felt like this next cue came so quickly. And gosh, here we are, Will. I can't believe we're already at this part of the movie. It just it breezes by. You've really made a difference in my life. You've given me something to shoot for. It's really one of those rare films that's just always interesting. Every single scene. And so well balanced to move from comedic to exciting to frightening scenes. Of this cue, this is where we first, we first hear our plaintive interpolation of the motif or diatonic. Yeah. Pastoral version. Oh. Yeah. Marty. Poor Marty is feels so helpless. And he's still stricken with the death of Doc. Right. You know, it's hanging over him, and it's just so frustrating. He's standing right in front of them, and right. feels like he still can't prevent it. And here we have that lovely solo flute playing that. Take whatever More bugle interpolation. Your yeah, there's that signature I still love. <laughs> Do not open. He's at Lou's Cafe. Great little harp glyphs as he right underlines as he 1985. Oh, Nice scene here. Like so many scenes of the film. Really colorful uh, camera placement there. And I love this is another... I don't know if this is a scene that we revisit <laughs> in Back right. to the Future 2. He's but. basically bribing the uh, police officer. Yeah, in Back to the Future 2 we revisit that where Doc talks to Doc. Right. Night train here. Great performance yeah. by the Starlighters. And man, they just look great. Yeah. You know? You know, Will, I'm. This is the same set, I, I'd be willing to say. Yeah. It's really cool that the film kind of takes place all in this one city. Right. I really like George's footwork here. I don't know about you. <laughs> And they have to. Re- they make use of that footage thing. in the second movie, right. kind of when Marty's looking through his binoculars. Does he borrow Doc's car? I think he does. Yeah. Oh, poor <laughs> Marty has not really thought this through, but he's so desperate for this plan to work. Oh no! He had taken his mother right at at, at her, her word. word. Yeah. This is kind of a horrifying scene, right? And she's drinking too. I 
swipe it from the old lady's liquor cabinet. Yeah, well, you shouldn't drink. Why not? Because you. Oh, Marty, don't be such Aww. a square. <laughs> don't be such a square. Everybody who's anybody drinks. Interesting. Jeez, <laughs> you smoked too. <laughs> smoked. Marty, you're beginning to sound just like my mother. <laughs> nice little beat there. That's such a great line. You're, you're sounding like my mother. Oh, the irony. Look at that showmanship. Don't nobody go nowheres. Love that. I got Marvin Berry's almost cooler than Chuck Berry. <laughs> yeah, Marvin Berry is so cool. I love that there's that sort of grating on the uh, clock because this is the basketball court. Why are you so nervous? <laughs> oh no, he's. Rain. Have you ever uh, been in a situation where you knew you had to act God. a certain? Micah is just knocking it out of the park. He's so great and charming yeah. in this movie. You know, and I'm sure Eric Stoltz was was turning in a, a really great performance, but it yeah. requires something so specific yeah. that, you know... It requires <sighs> Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I, I really think only Michael... I think only Michael could have done this. And again, here, this is taking the discomfort as far as it could possibly right. go. Well, I like that and she... I think it's so bold the movie actually deals with something right. like this. And that she, like, feels right. creeped out by it, too. Oh, right. God, look she at his face. Knows it's wrong. I, I don't know what it is. And it's funny what saves us from this moment is... Is, is like, a totally different emotion. It's, right. like, the terror of, of Biff here. Sense, Believe me. It makes perfect sense. But like you said last week, Will, if it was actually George turning up here right who knows what would happen but right. it would be bad news you kind of need biff he's part of the fabric of marty's yeah. timeline and it's sylvester that adds the terror to tom wilson's performance oh completely here, yeah i mean this is just kind of a horrifying sequence but i mean he really becomes kind of evil here and it's interesting i like that when it's just marty and lorraine she's sort of in control of the relationship and right it becomes so frightening when it's just lorraine and biff and he's this terror right now we're definitely getting that motive here it's being harmonized actually with tritones right tritone harmonies hey beat it spook this don't concern you here we get that uh, source, source cue. cue. Yeah. Man, they're cool. <laughs> Look, I don't want to mess with no reefer addicts, okay? There's something satisfying about the how cool these guys are. Yeah. They're coming out of the car because it's like these Biff's thugs are like. Yeah, they're also just these racist cronies. punks. Yeah, it's, it's just, just like get out of here, yeah, you, you trashy clowns. Yeah, everything about this movie, I, it's just like so perfectly timed out. There's no fat. Every right. element of the plot is just necessary. Right. So was George even running late, I wonder? Because <laughs> he ran out in quite a half. Oh, man. Hey, you. Get your damn hands off. And now the fact that Lorraine is in genuine distress here. Right. 
Come on, George. This is the test. You've been preparing for this moment. Oh my gosh. This scene, every time, is just... Almost tear up a lot. Crispin Glover, yeah, just yeah. amazing there. And like Fulfilling we said last week, I mean, destiny. this is really the most, that's the bravest thing that right. maybe George has ever done in his life. He's fulfilling his density, for sure. Yeah. And Sylvester's able to play through these, uh, this cut away to to Marty really nicely. Right. Leaning on that ostinato. Yeah. And you almost feel George's arm twisting. Right. Here's the final the, straw. He pushes Lorraine the down. The brass kind of twists. I don't know what kind the of lens they're, they're using on George, yeah. but <laughs> he just likes... Yeah. Now this is just... This yeah. makes movie history here. Boom. What a <sighs> punch. And that great wind-up in the score, another right. great brass crescendo leading up to it. But then he steps out of the actual sound effect. Right. Of the that's that's kind of a theme that we notice with how Sylvester and chooses to score here's this lovely cue reaching for Lorraine. We said it's a private moment where we have Are you okay? solo right. clarinet and then solo flute. And again, and we can tell the... this, is, this, is, this is a true uh, origin story for a romance. And using the you know. B theme for, you know, love, triumphant, you know, winning. Um, I also think what's important thing. is that she sort of explored her relationship with Calvin Klein as far as it could go. Yeah. And found the sort of disturbing end right. of it. Right, exactly. So that's, you know, that's clearly all. What's cool about this is they've yeah. almost earned George and Lorraine have kind of earned their relationship in a way that they didn't in the timeline without Marty. Right. You know, he, even though it was unintentional, he kind of led them into their real destiny. Right. And the dynamics of their relationship now are clearly different where Lorraine was maybe more of a nurse figure in the original timeline, it sounds right. like. And sort of was this caretaker. And here, here George is taking some more leadership. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that edit is just perfect. God, just the way he's playing is so like begrudging. This is for all you lovers out there. And Marvin's hand is all bandaged. Also, what a cool <laughs> premise great. that it's like he gets to play at the dance that yeah. brings his parents together. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm gonna cry. And I love how he has the photo in his headstock because he can't take any chances. God, what a little weasel. Perfectly cast, though, I've got to say. It's got to be hard for an actress showing up to an audition where it's like, yeah, really weasily, creepy-looking person, and and they cast you, but he's doing great. Man, this music yeah. is sure creepy with the squealing that, aliotoric strings. Yeah, that aliotoric strings. string passage and this death toll in the timpani. Yeah. One of our big effect shots, really, this yeah. composited hand here. Really? All because of that weasel? That's going to kill Marty? No. Right. Come on, George. You can take Biff. Whoa. Again, Alan pulls the score out for that moment, and now 
this little cue is called the kiss. And I love if you can hear faintly hear right. the end of the bridge of Earth Angel. And here we come with the sweeping. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's gosh. magical. <laughs> it's so good. And I love Marvin's like look at Marty before right. he sings that please be my <laughs> You know, another thing I didn't notice, that string counter melody, that da na na uh -huh. every quarter note hit of that melody is perfectly timed with another one of his siblings showing up in the photograph. All right. And we actually have a Back to the Future theme. Yeah, I love It's quote, kind of like a Lydian ending. The, uh, uh, it's just Earth lovely. Angel. Let's do another <laughs> Do one. something that really we talked about. We talked about this as the dessert. At this point in the movie, our focus has definitely gone on George and Lorraine and right. that feels like the climax but we have to remember we opened this movie with Marty auditioning to play at his high school right. dance and this is actually his destiny right. <laughs> right, this is, uh, <laughs> to play at this dance but, uh, and he's now a changed person and well, a changed musician you know, yeah. where I come from. this right, is guys, great uh, I love it. It's like they don't know the song, but they all, the entire rhythm section knows to come in for that stab. Right. <laughs> Another thing I love, we didn't mention this, but what's yeah. so great about this version of Johnny Be Good is that, that drummer yeah. is an old, like, swing jazz right, drummer. Right, super swing. And so he's still doing that pattern over the song. So we mentioned that it's Mike isn't singing or, or playing this, but Mike is a, a guitarist, and so he's he worked with a um, a guitar coach on the film so that he could really be syncing every right uh, every part of the song. <laughs> Ever think of running for class president? Nice little <laughs> nice little tease there. You know, George's life will not be the same. Dude, look at that white bass. Yeah. That's the coolest thing. I love that wiping that sweat. Okay. And here another historic Classic moment. Shout out to our friend Alex who made a great riff on this joke on Twitter. Yeah. We put out our first Back to the Future episode. There's also a great... You know, Family Guy did a twist on it, and I particularly like a Simpsons twist on it when Homer's in this grunge <laughs> band. Kurt Cobain. Guy says, yeah. <laughs> Kurt, this is your cousin Marvin Cobain. <laughs> and this is cool too because we get—he's kind of Im we imitating get some all ACDC and guitarists, yeah. Some Van Halen, and we get a little tasting tour of some great mm -hmm. '80s shredding. Jimi Hendrix a little bit. Kid when he kicks the ambo there. <laughs> I love the drummer still going. Right. For a little bit. Great string band on this final one. <laughs> a great 60 cycle hum. Anyone that works recording music familiar with that sound? <laughs> Perhaps just a bit too far, Marty. But you did something right if Strickland yeah. was covering his ears. <laughs> but your kids are going to love it. 
Again, getting out of the scene with a great little joke. Right. Here's that other piece of source music. Good night, Marty. Lorraine <laughs> trying her best to yeah. say something positive. It's almost like something you could imagine her saying as a mother to right. him. I love how George is looking in the background. He was kind of nervous, like, I hope I can take her home. Right. Like, will Marty be okay with tell you that it's been educational. And here's a cue of that same name. It's been educational. So beautiful. Well, Marty, I want to thank you for all your good advice. I've always been so moved by this scene. Right. Right, George. It's just delightful. And one of the most sincere moments in the score, I think. And I like... Marty decides to go for broke here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the added length in the scene yeah. gives us a, <laughs> another beautiful right. kind of bridge. I love that, you know, right. oboe and clarinet. And then this passage in the flutes always is kind of like we a get this Williams-y moment. We kind of uh, crane in on the rain nice here. This is great. It is a nice name, dude. You have a good name. <laughs> Thanks. Man. I've always been kind of jealous. I I really like your name. Better. Will is such a strong name. Eh, it's boring name. Everybody has that name. <laughs> we talked about the great comedy of this scene. And <laughs> and again, Alan dancing around it, around the right. different instances of around every single dam. <laughs> Marty's back in his his '80s costume, which is. Pretty much his superhero uniform here. Right. Doc gives us a little tease of maybe what this would might mean. <laughs> and he doesn't look at Marty. Mm, no. <laughs> but we're privy to, the, to that moment. It's great. So here we have a, this a sort of militaristic groove ha starting in yeah. the snare again. Again, foreshadowing the appending time travel. You know, every time we hear this, the snare, it's like revving up the DeLorean, you know. Kind of reminds us of the original sort of history-making effort of Doc at the beginning of the film. Last week we talked about what a master Sylvester is at creating these either groove beds or ostinati yeah. or phrases that can really work at kind of a consistent tempo like yeah, across completely. a long stretch of film. Yeah, he kind of is spelling a, a new era for film music. Right. That but he can also do it all because there's so much turning on the dime and Mickey Mousing in the score as well. Yep. It's really every type of uh, approach to scoring oh, we, hear in this, we hear in this film. And this is our longest stretch of music in the entire movie, this clock tower sequence. And like like we've mentioned before, we really have everything but the kitchen sink in all of this orchestration. And we love this slower, um, kind of noble presentation of the B theme right here. Great modulation and change of tone here. This has been so frustrating for Marty. Right. One of his kind of personal goals was to try to protect Doc, and right. it's kind of stopped at every turn. 
Now Alan's ostinato is yeah. broken. Right. You know, incredible story. We have those great again. It reminds me of Mission Impossible with the you know that metal percussion yeah. trills. Now they're just springing into action. Oh, poor Doc. Just things don't go his way with this right. clock tower. And it's such a great setup because we've already accepted that we needed lightning, but we maybe didn't didn't uh, process that that would mean there'd be a storm. Right. Which is now perfect for this climax that we ha is happening. It's happening in a stormy night. You know? Right. And really, this entire sequence is is iconic. I think right. it's fair to say the look of the clock tower and Doc's frizzy hair and. Just the lighting. And, you know, another thing you really have to give credit to Robert Zemeckis, there is such a clear sense of geography in all of his films. Like, I really feel like I could go to Hill Valley and make my way around and know where everything is. Right. Just the film is very clear about letting you know locationally where things are happening. Yeah, Marty's not going to give up. He's going to try here. We built a groove back up a new yeah. groove oh, and it's so frustrating because Doc's actually listening right but Marty's racing against time here as he is I suppose through the through the entire movie <laughs> oh gosh So many action films try to set up a ticking clock to uh, really add stakes to a set piece, and you're never going <laughs> to be able to beat the sequence, yeah. I don't think, because it's so organic, the ticking clock. There's a little moment that just happened in the underscore that's very similar to a moment in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, oh, kind of right. this high violin passage. Yeah, nah, 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 nah. Right. Kind of similar to the more action-y music in that movie. I love that great jaunty phrase yeah. in the clarinets there for Doc. And he has to be an action hero in this sequence, which is terrific. Wow. Marty's quite the stuntman yeah. in the DeLorean. I think he's earned that 4x4. Four four. Yeah, that's for sure. Here's that heroic, almost cowboyish trumpet phrase that's from true. earlier in the film. That's very true. Great that there's another moment for it. You know, another thing we haven't talked about, I love the sound of this orchestra. Danger Ostinato in the cellist. Yeah, isn't it terrific? At the time of recording, it was supposedly the largest orchestra employed for a Universal Pictures That's what film. I've heard, too. It's like a hundred-piece orchestra or something. Great idea. The brass just sounds so full. The strings are very rich. Fluxing. <laughs> love that one. Oh, of course. And Mike makes all the talking to himself stuff work, too. I right. A funny little joke, because the DeLoreans, like, in real life, were notorious for kind of being shoddy and malfunctioning. Right. And yeah, lemons somewhat. You'd really say this movie... Love uh, the pitch percussion blasts in this moment here. 
But who would still think about the DeLorean right. if it wasn't for Back to the Future? You know, it's kind of made so collecting them right. uh, much more sought after. A couple years ago, I remember when we saw this at a movies yeah, in the park, and there were, I think, at least two DeLoreans. Yeah, there. it was crazy. It was so and again, that's why it's just seeing this movie with an audience, it just can't be beat because yeah, it's just timed like out it. impeccably. And of course, all the jokes still work. All the beats still right. hit, you know. Boy, I love, you can just feel this. Uh, even if you've never had a electrical cable hanging from your <laughs> pant leg. I'm you sure we all can just feel how precarious it is. Love that there's just this alarm, an old-fashioned alarm clock on the dash. <laughs> he needs to cut a break. So for those of you, here. if you have a DeLorean that isn't working, just remember you have to smash your head right. against... <laughs> Again, the, the design of this whole sequence, story-wise, is just perfect. Also, a wonderful yeah. balance of little uh, challenges and little victories oh. and then more challenges. That piccolo flurry right. that just happened um, was perfect. It kind of characterizes the storm and Oh, that's so true. That I love that even though Marty's gotten the car going, that becomes a little bit of a problem. Right. Like, because now... It, the impending DeLorean, is, it's a little scary because what if Doc doesn't have right. the cable connected in time? Yeah, all these things need to just line up perfectly. And, and now we've kind of resumed what feels like our most comfortable march groove for our main theme. Yeah. Some wonderful little modulations before we get there. Doc's going to need to take a hero's leap here. And it's wonderful because they have no way to communicate to each other. I love this section of score. It's, again, galloping They're music. Just based, dun, in, dun, based in trust dun, here. Dun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that Doc gets to have the main <laughs> theme in that Yeah, moment. he gets to be kind of like Robin Hood or something. And here's our stopping and starting, similar to the beginning of the film with the main theme. Here's our B theme. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Can we make it in time? I love that we see the lightning strike the clock tower first. Boom! And again, Silvestri exits right at the moment of impact. Yeah. And the silence here afterwards so effective. And then we have our lovely, very sh brief cue helicopter coming up in just a moment. Another cool editing decision that happens there, the way we kind of transition back into 85. Right. It's like a little unexpected. I love this cut here because it's from the same perspective, if I remember, but just a, uh, just lower. Yeah. Well, what's great here, we see Doc look up at the clock tower. But then we cut to the clock tower, and now this we're is in the 85, 85 tower, right? It's the you don't realize it, tower. but it's by seeing a helicopter right. that you're like, oh, okay. Wonderfully done. The excitement they must have had in the editing room on this film. I know. Here, you hear that great Eric Clapton song. 
on the radio. I love this guy's performance. Drunk draggers. Yeah, and he pops up in subsequent films as well. <laughs> it's a great way of downplaying the right like the sort of victory here and we may oh, have Marty. forgotten but the time machine freezes when it travels through right it was great. <laughs> oh, i forgot yeah he knows him red oh dude why didn't you give yourself more time Uh-oh. And this next stretch of the film is actually a little bit of a taste of uh, what's so exciting about Back to the Future 2. They're recontextualizing of yes, events. Yes, that's a good point. Before. I remember, I mean, the first time seeing this, there was something really kind of thrilling about seeing the, the right. Libyan's van. These chords, yeah. these yeah. really snarly brass chords with all that dissonance, it's just really... Lovely little Easter egg here. Wone Pine Mall. Uh-oh. Marty's been too late. He's... God, you just can't take your eyes off this movie. Right. Love this percussion groove that's playing right. through here with the timpani and the toms. Poor Marty, he really tried everything he possibly could to protect Doc. Right. I like also the editing. We don't have to sit through that right. entire scene. It's much truncated. And you get this added touch of seeing what happens to their van. Right. Orchestration gets very small and sort of private here for this. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the roller coaster of emotions we've gone through here. Oh, just <laughs> when he blinks his eyes, you get that. And that's probably our favorite chime. instance of the chime. <laughs> oh. Alan Silvestri, you are a master. Right. What a great moment here, the way they look at each other. I love that Chris plays this so surprised. All the string writing is so beautiful here as we kind of extend the plaintive theme further. Not all that talk <laughs> about screwing up future events, the space time continuum. Well, I figured. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it's great because Doc didn't speak prior to that line, which right. really helps to make it land. Oh, that's so special. Great scoring there in that moment, giving just oh, us a little bit more of a like heroism and right. happy victory before we send Marty home. Like you said last week, 
it's now a different relationship that they have. Right. It's it, deeper. It's richer. It goes it back to 1955 and means that Doc had to sort of had to wait 30 years to, yeah. to meet it, him again. And the hard thing presumably about this movie is now I just want to watch anything. the next yeah. ones. <laughs> I know. Brilliant. Alan doesn't let anything back there, so what else would we think but that's but that is Doc's farewell. Yeah. You know? Literally, yeah. So he's important exiting as we've frame. mentioned with other films, like great film scores live in the present moment. Hmm. Oh, just great. First tease Finally. of the second Finally, We can exhale. And this is what a catchy. It's great because we start. It's like things seem mostly the same. Marty's in his weird. You know the pose. other thing I didn't think of. Hmm. Maybe power of love is like being replaced with back in time because the timeline is That's sort of changed. Idea. So the song is more from power oh of love. Oh my gosh! To back I in love time. that. Right in a world where Chuck Berry got a jump start on. Right. They pack so much into this tiny little exchange here with the siblings. It's great. What the hell is this? Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember there was an organ in the house before? And now there's a white acoustic piano. Yeah. What do, What are you wearing, Dave? Marty. I always wear a suit to the office. <laughs> What are you wearing, Dave? I think you need a rematch, George. Oh, a rematch? Why? Were you cheating? No. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> it's great. Just unrecognizable. Did you hit your head? You guys, you guys look great. Mom, you, you look so thin. Thank you, Marty. George. <laughs> Good morning, sleepyhead. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Mom. Oh, I love yeah. this. It's funny how much you can communicate. And again, when we were with the family before, it wasn't so overdone as to be extremely depressing, but seeing it contrasted and the house has a lot more feng shui or something to it, it's really effective. And George is just so confident. I love it. <laughs> One of the great exchanges here. <laughs> don't con me, Biff. Don't con me. Now, Biff, don't con me. I'm sorry, Mr. McGuire. And Tom is great at this stuff, yeah. too. He's so likable, too, yeah. He plays a good nerd. You know, I'll say... Maybe this is a weird opinion. One of the only things maybe I don't enjoy so much about Back to the Future 2 is that this Biff... Um, kind of resumes like goes back to the kind of angry mode, you know, as right. he sees the car fly away. Growing up and waiting for the sequels to come out, I love the idea of like the more sort of neutered Biff. Sure. But it's also fun that Biff becomes this like I don't know time traveling ultra super villain in every era. He's just the bane of Marty's existence. And as people have commented, sort of a proto Donald Trump. Yeah. Here's the Q four by four, which is 
maybe the kind of definitive version of this plaintive Americana theme. I really feel like the, everyone's performance at the end of this film is a little bit better than the beginning of Back to the Future 2. I think that's fair. The one thing, though, it's funny. There's a video that compares them side by side. Sure. And <laughs> Christopher Lloyd's delivery is, like, identical. You, It sounds like it's a double-track like vocal. Yeah. Like, the timing is just the same. It's really funny. You know, and they essentially had to reshoot because Jennifer was recast with Elizabeth Shue. Would have been really interesting a version where you, you could have maybe you used the footage exactly. Where? <laughs> Back to the future. Back to the future. Our last cue of the film, Doc returns. I need fuel. <laughs> It's great getting this return of the jaunty doc material. Right. We had really thought that was all over with. And Alan gave Doc such a nice send off a few minutes ago. Right. What I love in uh in Back to the Future 2, they add a little pause there where he like thinks about it for half a second. Right. This is the kind of Holstein part. Oh, that's awesome. In a film already packed to the brim with memorable lines, we close with... Those effects still look pretty favorite. darn good on the oh, car. I think it's terrific. We have that great transition, as we talked <sighs> about, where Alan score does this little sort of glissando and yeah. crescendo, and we have that reverse effect that opens back in time. Well, well we here we credits. are. We made it. We've made it to the to end. To the end of the film. Thank you so much for joining us again. I mean, we love doing these commentaries, if nothing else than just an excuse to watch one of our favorite films. Uh, I'm going to be sad to see Back to the Future come to a close. I've really enjoyed these last few weeks. You know, it, it was just so special um, when Alan Silvestri reached out to us. Uh, that was just such a moving thing, I know, in both of our lives and something we never expected when we set out to talk about Back to the Future. I mean, we just so earnestly love this movie and this score. It was our score. own red letter date. Yeah. Know, we'd punch, uh, punch into the flux capacitor. It, it really has been such a treat. Um, not only because we've loved this movie for as long as we can remember, but really in exploring the score and the songs, we unearthed more information and more sort of thematic content in the film than we were ever aware of. Right. Even watching through the film, having done that, it's it's been so rewarding and I'll say every every viewing of Back to the Future is a rewarding viewing. It's a movie that's just peppered with so many lovely details. Very and true. it's one of those rare instances of all of the fates sort of conspiring. And of course, everyone involved everyone involved worked so hard on this film. Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale, all of the cast, you know, cinematography, editing, Alan's incredible score. I mean, everyone was working so hard on what seems like a consistent vision. But there are also those things that you just can't count on. Right. Um, all of the elements that we've touched on 
that allowed this movie to really live on and not feel too rooted or dated in the 80s. And those are the sorts of things that you can't really count on. And it's just, it's one of those magical yeah, films. Yeah, Fortune just where has to sort of smile on it. Fortune you. really d- did smile on it. All the stars aligned. And it's almost like, you know, the expression, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. To me, right. this is like an example of the opposite. Everything right. that could have gone right with the film's production went right from right. the casting to choice of, you know, composer, especially. I mean, the editing and. I, I just couldn't imagine anything changed and it being a better film. It's just, it's one of those rare examples of something that I would dare to call perfect. And it still speaks the same language of cinema right. that, that we're a part of now. The, the pacing, the timing of the editing, the, there's a lot of, uh, extreme camera positions in the cinematography right the humor even though there's some period specific humor we want to call Most out of it is once so again universal. bones how producer of uh right and the music supervisor, and the music supervisor of the film really put such a unique stamp on the the sort of song narrative of this well movie. as as the movie closes out here we want to just thank you once again for joining us uh, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you'd like to share with us regarding the show, feel free to send us an email at the underscore show at gmail.com. And you can find every episode of this show as well as supplementary material at our website, underscorepodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you're at all interested in leaving a review, That would be wonderful as that helps new listeners discover the podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore underscore show. The second underscore is silent. Until next time, everybody. And remember, we listen because we love. Take care. Underscore is part of the Marcado Brothers Podcast Network.